John's Gospel, chapter 1. I want to speak on the title since we have dedicated a lovely baby girl, and her name is Grace. And since we've dedicated her to the Lord this morning, I want to speak about grace this morning. Not the baby herself, but grace of God this morning. And grace, an expression of the Father's heart. Grace, an expression of the Father's heart. John's Gospel, chapter 1, please. And we'll skip across the chapter just for time's sake. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Let your eye drop down to verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I speak. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word, for your son, And we thank you, Lord, for your spirit. We thank you, Father, for the blood of the Lamb. And we ask you, Lord, that you would now shut each and every one of us in with thine own self and speak to our hearts. And may we fall in love with the Lord Jesus and see him afresh all over again this morning. And glorify his holy name. We ask it in his name's sake and for his glory alone. And we, as always, will give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Strange if you're going to speak on grace that most people would look at maybe the book of Romans. And why would you take John's gospel, chapter 1, to, to speak or to look at grace? Because, you see, everything to do with God, I mean everything to do with knowing Him, everything to do with knowing your Father in heaven, everything to do with heaven's dainties and glories has all, all of it is centralized. All of it is made known and revealed in the person of God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the center of glory as we speak at the moment, as a man in the glory. But everything revolves around him. And everything that you have as a Christian, as a born-again believer, everything that I have is all focused, fixed, and centralized on the person of Christ. And outside of Christ, then, is there grace? Of course there's grace. In fact, uh, uh, if we look at the sun that shines this morning, and it'll shine on those who are saved and unsaved, God's people and those who are not God's people, that's called common grace, or as the Dutch reformers used to call it, general grace, where generally grace sent from God is the rain that waters the crop that feeds the people Uh, that is the saved and the unsaved, is grace, God giving grace to everyone, to all peoples. But special grace as it's knowing, saving grace, grace made known comes 
in a special way to people, to their hearts, to their lives, to receive Christ as their own Lord and personal Savior. Now, that's a different story altogether. And we live in grace every day, not just common grace with everyone else, but we live in a beautiful, special grace with Christ. And everything that we have and all that we are and never hope to be and never achieve is all centralized and fixed on the person of Christ. Look at what it says in our reading in verse 16. And of his fullness, not off a drop of him, not off a portion of God, not off a slither of Christ, but off his fullness have all we received grace for grace. We'll look at it, God willing, in a moment. Grace is used some four times, or the word grace is used four times in this one chapter. Verse 14, verse 16, verse 17. Verse 16, it's mentioned twice. And notice this when we speak about this. We could say, well, what is grace? Christian, if, I, if an unbeliever came to you and said to you this morning on the way home and you met them at the door or on the doors on the way out or at the gate or up the street and they said, you tell me, what is grace? What would you say? How would you explain it? What can a man do to let someone know what grace is? Well, we say grace is unmerited favor. And that's what it is, of course. But what does that mean? Or we could say, you know, grace is to receive something which we do not deserve. And that's good. That's okay. And that's what grace is. But what does that say about Christ? What does that say about the Son of God? What does that say about our Father in heaven who sent His only Son to, to die on a cross? How do we mold us and fix us together and reconcile it to bring out the meaning, uh, the thrust of what grace really is? What is grace? 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice that, grow in grace. Now, if, how do we grow in grace? There's another one. What is it to grow in grace? What does it mean to grow in grace? And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And listen to what Paul says again in 2 Timothy 2 and 21. He says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in it, Peter says, or Paul says. Then he says, grow in grace. How do we grow in? How do we be strong? How do we experience this? How do we put this forward? And how do we show others? How do we work it out? What is grace? To grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to grow and to know Jesus. Now listen, to grow and to know Jesus is grace. And let me say it again. To grow and to know Jesus is grace, but it is to grow in grace. Let me explain further. To grow and to know him as Lord and Savior is to grow in grace. I'll go a little bit further. To grow in the revelation of His grace, what it is, what it means, what it's done, what it does every day, and how you and I live in grace every day. And to be able to do that 
and to be able to experience it and to be able to understand it as blood-washed, born-again, Jesus-loving, Bible-believing Christians, we receive this and drink it in. And we understand the revelation he gives us of grace. We understand then that we're growing in it because we can live in it. I'll go a little further. So to grow in the revelation of his grace and then the grace of his revelation, in other words, because he is gracious to show us, for none of us deserve it. I want to show you who I am, he says. In your trouble, I want to show you who I am. In the midst of your stress, I want to show you who I am. In the midst of your trials, I want to show you who I am. In the midst of your sickness, I want to show you who I am. To see who he is. To reveal himself to us. Is grace. The high and lofty one. Which inhabiteth eternity. Whose name is holy. He comes to show himself. To you and I. I notice this. To grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ shows the believer, knows Jesus as his Lord and Savior. It is a testimony to knowing him. Listen, this is important to his deity. He is God, his dual nature to his deity. And it also shows and testifies that we know him in his humanity. He is a very man of flesh. He is the man of the seed of Abraham. Now, to understand that, that's grace. I'll go further. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, though he was rich, yet for your sake. For your sake. Would you say for my sake? Say it again. Now let the devil hear it. For my sake. He was rich. Lord, for my sake. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor. That ye, say that I. Say it again, please. Say it louder. That I, through his poverty might be made rich. But I'm a pauper. Do you love Jesus? At the moment I'm jobless. Do you love the Lord? At the moment I live in a little small house and there's hardly any heating in it and cold running water only. Do you love him? Then if you love him, you're rich. You're richer than the richest man that lives on this planet with billions upon billions in his bank account and has not Christ. You're the richest of the rich. For your sake, he's become poor that you might become rich. One day you are going to rise up to meet the Lord. And one day you're going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And one day, 
you're going to have a garment of light. And one day you're going to inherit a kingdom that is not made with hands, but a kingdom that is built by God, a city of our great king. How rich are you this morning? Richer beyond your wildest dreams. Jim Drenning, I think it was, prayed it this morning up in our prayer meeting. I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-scarred hands than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. I'd rather have Jesus, brothers and sisters. I'd rather have him than all this world and its luxuries and its lusts and its leisures. I'd rather have Jesus. You see, for you know is uh, the, the grace here. One old writer wrote, for you know the giving of our Lord. Do you know the giving of him? We forget the giving of him. We forget what he's done. We tend to draw back at times. We forget his riches and now his poverty and back into glory. We forget what he has done. We forget the, the, what he has given us. We forget where he's brought us from. We forget the sin he's forgiven us of. We forget about him and we go on our ways. When we dedicated a little grace this morning and we read Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord and about writing all the, the word of the Lord upon our hearts and loving God with all our hearts. If you read on down that chapter, the Lord says the Lord will bless you to increase and he blesses you in this and he blesses you in that. And do you know what it says? And make sure, he says, when you come into the land and the Lord has blessed you with, that you forget not the Lord. How easy is it for us to forget him? For man to forget him, to go astray from him, to forgive him and walk away from him. He says, forget not the Lord. The word here, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, the idea is here that, that he is, before he added humanity to his deity and walked this earth, that though he was rich, although he was all, was and is almighty God, was always almighty God. But before he added humanity to his deity, before he added humanity to his deity and walked this earth, before he did that, it says, he had never experienced the poverty of our humanity. He had never experienced the, the weakness of it. Tiredness it gets. Never experienced the thirst. He's the one who's the source of all living water. He's thirsty at a well and he's thirsty on the cross. He's the one who has infinite strength. And yet when he takes on humanity, we find that he's the one who's weary and who's sleeping in a boat in a storm. You find he's hungry when he's tempted off the devil, being in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights. Yet he says, I am the bread of life and feeds the multitude and feeds Israel with manna in the wilderness. He is the one that 
took humanity that he would understand us. He became poor. In his frail humanity, he had nowhere to lay his head. Foxes of olds and birds of the air of nest, but the Son of Man of not where to lay his head, the Lord Jesus said. In other words, he says, you know, I, 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 I'm not living in luxury palaces here. But he done it for you and I. He, as it were, left the ivory palaces for a little manger with maybe straw in it in a cave or that, that, that was a, a barn, a shed for cattle. The one who owns the universe and created all things, he done it for me. That for your sakes he became poor. And for mine. That ye through his poverty might be made rich. That you and I will have a share in Jesus' eternal heavenly wealth. Because he came and had a share in our poverty. So grace is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And verse 14 says, and the Word was made flesh. Humanity was added to His deity. God came down. God came for me. And God came for you. To buy you with a great price. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8, the first time you read the word grace, it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But Noah found grace. Now the word found doesn't mean Noah was looking for God's grace. It means the revelation of grace came one day to Noah. How did Noah know there was going to be a flood? God told him, exactly. That's grace. No other salvation to be had, but you must come my way. There's salvation to be had, but you must come the way I have ordained. Build an ark, and it must be to these very specific dimensions. If you do, you'll be saved. Noah, out of all the people, found grace. The word there for grace is a Hebrew word, Cain. And it gives the idea of one bowing down or stooping down in kindness to an inferior. I'll say it again. One bowing down or stooping down in kindness to an inferior. Almighty God, the Lord Jesus himself, he bowed down he stooped down in kindness to Noah, the inferior. One day, he says, Noah, all flesh before me has become wicked. Build an ark. See, now that's grace. Could have left him and just sent a flood. But he left a way of salvation. Christ, that type of ark, Here, the word is made flesh and dwelt among us. Christ, that type of ark, says to the unsaved, said to me and to you before we were saved, 
There's a way of salvation. There's a judgment that is coming. This time it's not a flood. It's going to be a fiery judgment of God. He says, but all who will come into the ark, all who will hear shall live. All who will come shall receive. And that is grace that God would love us when we were enemies toward him. So grace is not about man finding God as religion tells you. Grace is not about you going to seek God. Grace is not about man finding God, but rather it's about God finding man. It's about God finding you. Why are you here this morning? You're here because God has found you. That's grace. That's grace. Christians struggling, why are you here this morning? You're here because God found you and he has you in, your, in his grace here. Why are you here this morning when you're weak and you're weary? Because grace has found you this morning. Grace is the sovereign, eternal, self-existing, infinite creator, maker, keeper, sustainer, and administrator over all things, through all things, and in all things, who bows down and stoops down in kindness to you and I, the inferiors, those who are finite and weak and fallen and frail and fickle and depraved. Humanity itself, God, who could leave us to our own devices, now on a broad road to destruction, he comes and he says, I will go and I will save. That's grace. Ken Davidson is on the road to hell. And he'll die in his sins. God himself says, I must go. He adds humanity to his deity. He hangs on a cross. That I might be forgiven. That you might be forgiven. Titus 2 and 11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Now this is very interesting. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. So here's the thing. Have we still explained, have we explained grace? Well, we've given you a picture. But what else does it mean? It must mean something more than this. How do we try and put this forward in another way? Okay. Here it's appeared to all men. How does grace appear? For after all, there's a problem. Grace is abstract. We'll talk about that in a moment. You see, when grace was used by the Greeks, uh, pagan Greece had what, you, what they had was, you know, they had their philosophers and their teachers and their thinkers, and they used to stand out in the streets and their great orators, and they'd have spoken. And as they'd have spoken, they'd have pulled out depths of philosophy and things that they had thought up and, and things that they had studied over that the, the general public maybe had never have heard or thought of. And so someone may be walking down a street, say in Athens, and they hear one of these Greek speakers and he seems so intriguing, they stop for a while and they're listening. It doesn't cost them anything, they just stop and listen. The speakers are just speaking out all this great philosophy. But there's a property in what they're saying that reaches their heart. There's a property in what they're saying that touches their mind. 
There's a property in what they're saying that it causes them joy. It causes them to have strength. It causes them to think. But yet the speaker's asking for nothing in return. See, what they called that was charis. The Greeks call it charis. Let me give you another example. A man would go up to the top of a, a, a great hill overlooking the sea. And as he's standing on the hill and the wind would blow gently and the sun is beating down there in the Greek islands maybe or in Greece itself. And you know what it's like when you're on those holidays and you're, oh, it's great. It's not like when you're at Newcastle County down. It's <laughs> freezing. <laughs> oh, it's great. The breeze. That wee breeze is just cools you down. The sun on you is beautiful. It's blowing the trees gently, maybe, and the grass is blowing, and the sun's bouncing off the sea, and it's glittering, and everything just seems so perfect. Oh, you just feel the property in it, and it comes to you, and it just causes you to, wow. That's what the Greeks called charis. That's what they called charis. New Testament writers like Paul took it over and they used it about Christ. They used it about his salvation. They used it about his strength to carry on, to bring you along. You know, whenever you've felt you're a failure, you feel that you've fallen or you've went wayward, do you know that time whenever you think, God will never forgive me? How could I even go and pray now? Then grace reveals to you. You start growing in the grace knowing, Jesus died for me. Shed his blood for me. Oh, he loves me in spite of me and not because of me. And you realize then, oh, I can keep going. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. That's Kairos. That's grace. That's grace. It gives the idea of the, the speaker would be speaking his whole inner being, as it were, his whole mind and will, speaking out his word, and then that comes to the, to the hearer and there's a property in it. And so whenever you think of it like that, this is what one Greek scholar said about this word, charis, stroke, grace. It is hardly too much to say that the mind of God has in no word uttered itself and all that is in his heart more distinctly than this. In other words, when the Son came and died on the cross, the Word of God uttered the mind of the Father. The Word of God uttered the mind of God puts on a body of flesh, dies on a rugged cross. The Greek writer says, you know what they're saying here? If you want to know grace, salvation, if you want to know the mysteries of God, just keep looking to his son. Keep your eyes on him. The grace of God brings us salvation 
hath appeared to all men. The word here means to show up. To show up, to give light, to become visible. So now here's the thing, grace is abstract. What does abstract mean? Abstract means like, I've written this down from a few different people, but this is what I come up with. Abstract, especially in the adjective form. Existing in thought or as an idea, but not having a physical or concrete existence. It's something abstract. In other words, you could think things and not do them. It remains abstract. It's a mass of swirling thoughts around your mind. I have a load of those because Alison keeps saying, would you move the lawn? And I'd say, yes, it's, it's done in my mind, but it isn't actually done. So I'm being abstract. Is the grass actually cut? No, it is not. Thought I saw a Tarzan swinging through it the other day. No, it's not. But in my mind it is. So what good's that? What good's that? What use is that? If God in his mind, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the same as in the beginning with God. If God in his mind had not spoken his mind, brought forth his Word, there would be no creation. If he had not given forth his word, there would be no salvation. If he had kept it as a mass of, as it were, uh, speaking reverently, swelling, swerving thoughts in his mind, then we'd still be lost. Abstract simply means something not having a bodily or material existence or form. But in the beginning was the Word, and the Word in verse 14 is made flesh. God's Word will mind. God Himself takes on humanity to show us the grace of God. You know, I have so much on this word grace. I don't want to turn into a massive epic study because sometimes we carry it on, and I'll do more some other time. But let me just round this up like this. In Acts 11, we're told that Barnabas is sent to Antioch. Some of the Jews there had come to saving faith in the Lord. And in Acts 11, 23 says, And when he came, he seen the grace of God and was glad. How do you see the grace of God? It's abstract. Barnabas saw a change of life. Barnabas saw the invisible, the abstract, the unexplainable, made visible and made known in the lives of those whom Christ had touched. How do you show the grace of God? By showing the power and the Spirit of God in your life. By trusting Him for whatever you're going through. People see something they don't have and they say, what is it about him? What is it about her? That's the grace of God. That's the expression of the Father's heart in your life. You're expressing your Father's heart. So, I finish with this. 
Verse 16 of our reading says, And of his fullness have we all received, and grace for grace. The word grace for grace means grace heaped upon grace. What does that mean then? I heard an old speaker, he, he went on to be with the Lord and I from Canada. And he explained it like this, he says, you go to a, a tube station. We don't have them here, but you know what they are. So you go to catch a tr- the tube and you go, down the, you go down the stairs, you're into the tube. And as you go, as you go into the tube station, the train shoom, just whizzes off. You, oh, I've missed it. I've missed it. And many of us feel that we have missed it. Many of us feel we have went wrong. Many of us feel there's no hope. Many of us feel that God's finished with us. Many of us feel it's all over. Many of us feel different things and we're wondering, Lord, I've missed it. But this is grace for grace. He says, you come down. And as just as you step onto the platform, whoosh, the train goes. And just as you think, I've missed it, it's over. And our train comes right up beside you. Do you know what he says? That's grace for grace. When you think you haven't, the revelation of Christ and his grace, he's full of grace and truth. Grace heaped upon grace, he says, see if you've missed the train, get on the next one. Brothers and sisters, if you feel you've missed the train, get on the next one. Verse 17, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The Ten Commandments were given to men to keep resulting in men's failure. But grace and truth came by Christ, came from him to you and I. The law separated, the law can be separated from Moses. Listen to this, this is my last quote. The law can be separated from Moses. I'll say it again, the law can be separated from Moses. He was the law giver. He was given the law to give to us. It can be separated from Moses as a person. But grace cannot be separated from our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you getting that? Are you taking that in? Grace cannot be separated from our Lord Jesus Christ. For he is, he is the expression of the Father's heart. For he is the word of God made flesh. For he is all that heaven has. He is the very center of glory. He is everything. He has it all. Grace heaped upon grace. He's full of grace and truth. If you come to Christ, you'll find this. That all you've ever wondered about heaven is always found in all of him. And you can receive of his fullness through his Holy Spirit in your life. And God bless this word, grace, to our hearts. I'm going to do maybe a study sometime, you know. Our brother Bram Willis about three years ago said to me, why don't you do a bit more about that grace? I don't know if Bram remembers that or not. And I thought, I'm going to have to maybe try and do that. And I've just got away with other things, but we'll have a look sometime in doing a series. That's just a snippet of it, of what grace really is. Friend, let's be strong in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ this morning. May God bless every one of you.